several weeks now on Sunday nights, we've been looking at uh, the encounters that Jesus had with certain individuals. And I know uh, that, as I mentioned this morning, over the last 32 years, I am sure <coughs> that none of these lessons that we've done has been new to me. I am sure that I have preached on Nicodemus before or the uh, woman at the well or the nobleman's son or the man healed by the pool of Bethesda or the woman caught in adultery or Peter walking on the water. I'm aware of that. So if you know that and you think I'm so senile that I don't know that I've preached on these things before, uh, I do know that. But hopefully each time we come to it, we come to it maybe from a little different angle and a little different perspective. And that's what we're going to do tonight. In John chapter 9, we have the story of the blind man that is healed. And I know that I've preached about and taught about this story several times, probably over the last 32 years. But it's kind of next in our chronology in the the book of John. And so we're going to look at it again tonight. But I want you to think about the happiest day of your life. Why don't you just imagine what that is? Maybe it's the day you were married. Uh, Maybe it was the day your children were born. Uh, Maybe you don't want to think about something quite so high. You want to think something maybe a little more shallow. Like maybe when you got a promotion at your job or you bought a new car or you bought a new house or whatever it is. You know, think about the happiest day of your life. And then think about having somebody ruin it almost immediately. And that is what we have in this story. We're going to look at this encounter that Jesus has with the blind man. And we know, you know, what goes on there. But we're also going to look more at the encounter that the blind man had with other people. And that other people had with each other in regards to what happens here. But in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, it says, As he went along, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. This would be... The most beautiful story, if it ended right there. Man had been blind from birth, I'm, you know, at least 30 years probably, been blind from birth, never been able to see anything. Now, I'm going blind. You know, David Barrett needs to get a pair of glasses because he's borrowing mine all the time, and then I can't see. And so, you know, it's, it's, I, and I can't imagine truly being blind. You people know how much I hate the dark. 
I just, I just would be a basket case, just freaked out all the time if I could not see. And you got to remember that this was back in the day when there was no Medicaid and there was no Social Security and there was no disability. There was no ADA, you know, whatever to help people out. And, and so if you were disabled, the only remedy you really had to make a living for yourself was to beg. That was pretty well it. Now, it was understood in that society that that's what these people did. And so it was not uncommon. They were not necessarily looked down on in the sense that maybe we might look down on beggars today or something like that. It was just their way of making a living. So they would sit at the temple gates or they would sit at the city gates or they would sit wherever and they would beg for money and people would give it to them. And this man has spent his whole life like that. And now he can see. It has to be the happiest day of his life. I've always thought it was interesting. Why did Jesus spit on the ground, make mud, wipe it on his eyes, and tell him to go wash it off in the pool of Siloam? Could Jesus not have just said, see? And he could have seen. I don't know why Jesus did that, but that's what he did. I don't know if maybe it was so that the man had to demonstrate at least a little faith in order to be healed. He had to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus didn't say, find the first well you find and wipe it out of your eyes. He didn't say, go to the pool of Bethesda and wash it out. He specifically said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it out. And so the man had to have enough faith to at least do what Jesus said. In order for him to have his sight, uh, to regain his sight. It's interesting that the story comes to life to me at least by looking at how the different people viewed the man that was healed. So first of all, we have the disciples. And the disciples, when they saw the man, what they saw was a question that needed to be answered. All they could see was his infirmity. And they used it as an illustration to ask an age-old question. Why do bad things happen? And it's also interesting that they thought they knew the answer. They knew why the man was born blind. Either he had sinned or his parents had sinned. They were under the assumption, the same assumption that Job and his friends were under. That if something bad happens to you, it is a direct result from God of sin in your life. That is what Job's friends thought when all the things were happening in Job's life. They thought, you obviously have done something wrong. And for years and years and years, I used to think that Job, when he would answer his friends, I used to think that Job was trying to argue with them. But then the more I really read the book of Job, I came to understand Job was not arguing with his friends. Job agreed with his friends. Job had the the same theology they did. He believed just like them that bad things happen because you sin and God brings judgment on you. That wasn't Job's problem. Job's problem was not with his friends. Job's problem was with God. 
Because he's saying, wait a minute. I believe just like them, but I know I haven't done anything to deserve all this. Now, his friends, they thought he had, you know, and they wanted to know what it was. But Job believed just like they did, but he couldn't figure it out. It didn't seem right. It didn't seem just. He didn't deserve all of that. And that theology had kind of been handed down and handed down. And here were the disciples. And they thought the same thing. They said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, Jesus rejected the premise that's a political kind of debate kind of uh, theory where, where somebody kind of paints you into a corner. You know, it's like, I, you know, the age old, you know, have you quit beating your wife? Well, how do you answer that? If you answer yes, what does that imply? That you were. And if you answer no, that implies you still are. There, there's no, there's no, there's no winning answering that question, Right. And that's kind of what the disciples kind of said to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're wrong about the whole thing. The whole thing is wrong. Neither him nor his parents sinned. Obviously, there are times when suffering and sin, when suffering and sin are directly related. Right? You've probably had it happen in your life. I know I've had it happen in my life where I have gone against God. I've done something wrong. And there was a direct consequence because I did that. Not necessarily a direct punishment from God, but a direct consequence because of the action that I did. And sometimes maybe it is a consequence from God. This world from the day, from a day Adam and Eve sin, sin has been flawed. This is not heaven. Bad things are going to happen. This is not a perfect world. The question is not for us as Christians. The question is not why the bad things happen. The question is, will we glorify God when those bad things happen to us? Jesus said, this man was born blind so that God could be glorified. And I don't know that he meant that as a specific. Well, God just decided this guy was going to be born blind from birth so that 30 years later, Jesus could heal him and God would be glorified. I think Jesus was making a general statement. Bad things happen. And one of the reasons they do is so that they, so that we can glorify God by how we respond to the bad things that happen in our lives. So the disciples saw a question that needed to be answered. The neighbors, they saw a mystery that needed to be solved. Now, remember we stopped at verse 7. Unfortunately, this chapter goes on for 41 more verses. It should, have, it should have just ended there, and then we begin chapter 10. But oh no. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. 
And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. This is where the man's day turns sour. His friends, his neighbors, the people that knew him began to question and refuse to believe that this was the man who used to beg and never and couldn't see before. Have you ever been, you know, in one of those situations where you're standing there and people are talking about you? And maybe you said that I, I'm standing right here. I can I can hear you. And that's what's going on. These people are arguing back and forth. Is that the man that used to be blind, used to beg? No, I don't think so. Well, he sure looks like him. Yeah, but he only looks like him. It's not really him. And the guy's like, hey, hey, I'm him. They're not buying it. That's too weird for them. They can't accept what has happened to this man that he now can see. And there's a couple lessons there for us, I think. When we come to Jesus, some of those who know us best will be skeptical. Some of those who know us best will not understand. Some of those who know us best won't believe that we're sincere. They won't believe that it's going to last. They won't believe that it's going to take. And they try to question our motives. They'll question our motives and our commitment and our and question our sincerity. But we cannot let others get in the way of doing what we know is right. Even if others question us, even if others wonder, you know, if it's true, if it's real, if we're sincere, we should not let that bother us. We need to do what God has called us and wants us to do. As we go through this story... We see that the resolve of this man actually grows. You know, this is, this is one of those people that I do kind of relate to. The more he gets pressed and the more he gets pressured, the stronger his backbone kind of becomes. The more he kind of resists. He's kind of not too sure right now. Well, the man that called Jesus, he told me to do this and whatever. And so I did it. Well, where is he? I don't know. I don't know where he is. I don't know. But the more he's pressed, the more he's confronted, the stronger his faith and conviction becomes. But also within that is the idea that we must never hinder those coming to Christ by our actions and words. We should not question somebody's sincerity. We should not question their commitment. We need to accept them and love them and encourage them and support them. You know, for most of us in here, we grew up knowing what was right. We grew up knowing God's word. But there's a whole bunch of people out there, more so now than when I and you, most of you, were growing up, who really don't have any idea what the Bible says. Have no idea about what is right or wrong. Why? Because when we grew up, 
society told us the same things the Bible told us. Their society is telling them something totally different. And so they're growing up and understanding that what they believe to be right and believe to be correct. And now they all of a sudden become a Christian and find out that there's a whole different way. You know what? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to stumble. They're not going to know everything you know when they first become a Christian. And we need to be patient with them. And we need to make sure that we do not discourage them and that we do not say things that are going to maybe have them just turn the other way and go back. It may take some time. They may need to grow. In the high school class, I told you this morning, we've been studying 1 Corinthians. And that was one of the problems in the church at Corinth is that they were coming, many of these Christians were coming out of a culture and a society very similar to ours. Where sexual immorality and idolatry and everything else was just a common way of life. And so now all of a sudden they become a Christian and they don't really know that that's wrong. It wasn't wrong before they were a Christian. And so Paul has to come along and say, look, these things you used to do before, you can't keep doing them. You've got to put those things behind you. But if he was too harsh or other brethren were too harsh and and pushed them away and discouraged them, where would they have been then? So the neighbors saw him as a mystery to be solved because they couldn't understand it. The parents, his parents saw him as a problem to be ignored. Maybe you think of your children that way. I don't know. Maybe your parents thought of you that way. I don't know. But his parents decided he was a problem to be ignored. Now, we're going to skip to verse 18. Okay, we're going to come back to the middle part here in a minute. But in the middle part, the Pharisees come and question him and and, and whatever. And then they turn to his parents. And so beginning in verse 18, it says, The Jews still not believed that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So they're still, they're still not convinced this is the right guy. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? So you see already they're accusing the parents in their tone and in the words that they use. Is this the son you say was born blind or have y'all been faking it 30 years? I don't know how you fake being blind for 30 years or whatever. But they're already accusing the parents. Verse 20, they say, we know he is our son. At least they admitted that. We know he was born blind. Okay, there's the confirmation. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him for yourself. He is of age. He will speak for himself. The parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Now, being put out of the synagogue was a huge deal. It was not a little thing. It was not like, you know, oh, well, got 
kicked out of church and so I'll find another church or got kicked out of church, but that didn't affect me, you know, in the community or whatever. If you were put out of the synagogue, you were turned away from society. You might as well have been a, a leper. Okay. You could not buy, you could not sell, you could not, you know, do business or whatever in the, in the community. You were an outcast. And the Jews had already said, the, the Pharisees, and said, anybody who says Jesus is the Christ, we're putting you out of the synagogue. The parents didn't want any part of that. And so they said, you know, kind of like Pilate did when Jesus was on trial, we're washing our hands of the situation. You ask him. He's of age. He's legal. You know, you, you ask him. And so he was kind of a problem to be ignored. Our society and our world is a lot like these parents. They know in their hearts that the way of Christ is best. That God's laws, his commandments and statutes provide the best for those who follow him. But fear keeps them from admitting it. We've talked about this a bunch. But you can't hardly find, it would be hard to find anybody in the world who would say that the world would not be a better place if we did unto others as we would have them do to us. You would be hard pressed to find somebody who would not say that this world would be a better place if we could love each other and even our enemies. If, as we looked at this morning, all of us would look to the interests of others and not of ourselves. Even God's commandments. If the world just lived by those commandments, it'd be hard pressed to find somebody who could say the world would not be a better place. Now, they don't, they don't want to live that way. So all these problems come up in our world and here is the solution. Here's the solution. But they don't want any part of it. They don't want to hear it. They just want to ignore it. Just like these parents kind of wanted to ignore what Jesus had done for their, pro- for their son. We'll ignore the real problem and the real solution and we'll focus on treating the symptoms. And that's what our world does. You know, we can build more prisons. We can have bigger guns. You know, we can do all of the, have all these social programs. But those are just treating the symptoms. When the real problem is sin and a relationship with God. And the answer is not all these other things. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is up to you and I to share that message with the people around us. To give them real hope. Our society and our community gives them brief, false, temporary hope. But God gives us real hope, everlasting hope. And then we see that fourthly, the Pharisees saw a controversy to be settled. Two things irritated the Pharisees about this event. First of all, it happened on the Sabbath day. 
If Jesus would just quit healing on the Sabbath day, things would have gone a whole lot easier. But secondly, and maybe even more importantly, was the fact that it was Jesus who healed him. If it had been anybody else, they'd have been okay with it. But it's the fact that it was Jesus who healed him in a pretty public manner. Now, this is John chapter 9, right? Yes, yes. John chapter 11, that we'll get to eventually, is the turning point in the gospel of John. John 11 is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And that is the straw that broke the camel's back, as far as the Pharisees were concerned. We can't have this. Not only did they set out a plot to kill Jesus, they set out a plot to kill Lazarus. But this was the straw before the straw that broke the camel's back. The fact that he had healed this man and it became a public event was just more than they could stand. Beginning in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees, now we're backing up a little bit, the neighbors who weren't sure he was the man that was born blind, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on his eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? They were divided. So even among themselves, they weren't sure. But uh, uh, finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was you whose eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Now go down to verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know, we know, because we're smart. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But this one thing I do know, I was blind But now I see. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I've already told you and you don't listen. Getting a little frustrated. When the man gets a little frustrated, he also gets a little sarcastic. Which is another reason I like him. He answered, did I, uh, I've already told you and you do not listen Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? Is that why you want me to tell you again? Because you're close to believing in him? Well, they hurled insults at him. And they said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answers, that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. You are the religious leaders. You say you know things. You don't even know where this guy comes from. And yet he can do miracles like opening my eyes. We know, the man said, that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped at birth, in birth, in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Wow. A day that started so wonderful. 
born blind, a man comes along, spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it in your eye, tells you to go wash, and now you can see. You'd been an outcast your whole life. And in a matter of a few minutes or a few hours, you are an outcast again. He went from being an outcast because of his physical deformity to now being an outcast because he had been cast out of the synagogue. Banished from the religious place of worship and the religious people. As we look around or as we see the Pharisees, the Pharisees are like the world around us. When they can't come up with a legitimate argument... They would just start hurling insults. Bigoted, narrow-minded, unsophisticated, whatever the world wants to say. And that's exactly what Pharisees did to this man. Real quickly, we come to what Jesus saw. Coming back to the face-to-face with Jesus. Jesus saw a man... That needed to be healed. Through all of this. Let's not forget the most important fact. To Jesus this was a man. Who needed healing. Not just physically. But also spiritually. Jesus meets up with the man. After he's kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus hears he's been kicked out. And he meets up with him. And teaches him a spiritual lesson. Jesus found him. And offered him healing again. As we look around at hurting people, we must be careful not to see a question or a mystery or a problem or a controversy, but to see a person needing the healing power of the gospel. That's what started this all off. And then lastly, we also see from us a faith to be admired. This man took his faith from nothing to worshiping God in an afternoon. Now, for some people, that takes a lifetime. It takes a long time. You remember when first asked, he said it was that man they called Jesus. And then when questioned, he said, well, he's a prophet. And then again, well, he has to be from God or he couldn't do that. And then when Jesus talks to him, It says in verse 36, tell me who he is so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Our faith may start small. But as we meet the challenges and we understand more and more what God does for us in our lives, our faith then grows to where we say, you are our Lord. And we worship him. Very meaningful, I think, encounter that Jesus had with this blind man. If there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D F 
I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at AOL dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.